soda, all that stuff. It, 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 it's so unbelievably changed that, you know, when we remember, you know, Honey Lock Leparo. And then, you know, I was 15 years running an operation in uh, Oak Hammock Marsh, which is oh, at yeah. Winnipeg. So that's, you know, that's those, those birds, the EPP flock, Eastern Prairie Population, you know, they go right from Churchill to Oak Hammock. Mm-hmm. They'll stage there right to Lock Leparo, and then they went right from Lock Leparo straight to Swan Lake, Missouri. I mean, that's what they did. And, um, I mean, it, it, and it, there's, it, that none of that is true now, you know, other yeah. than, other than Okamek. Um, and, and now Okamek will hold a hundred thousand birds and the city of Winnipeg holds, you know, 350,000. If Winnipeg yeah. was north of Okamek, Okamek would have none. Yeah. yeah. It's just like Chicago and Southern Illinois. I mean, it would have just, you know, wiped it out. Yeah. So, I mean, nothing's, nothing's like that, you know, and now all those birds that were in Sumner, Missouri, you know, I mean, that whole EPP flock, well, now it's in Kansas City or it's in Des Moines. That's, I mean, if, if, if it's a nice enough winter, they'll stay in Des Moines. They won't push. If the weather's bad, they'll push to Kansas City. And if the weather's really bad, then they'll push to southeast Kansas. But, I mean, not, nothing's the same. I mean, and nothing stays the same. It's going right. to change. Everything changes. It keeps changing. That's the only guarantee is that it's going to change. You're going to get yeah. whatever you're going to get for a few years, and then the dynamic, whatever's going to change, it's going to change and well, I think that's a pretty famous saying, right, about anything. The only constant is change. Uh, absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. Very wise words from Stan Guzzi, Very one wise. of our two special guests on here today. We also have Simon Carlson back again. Say yep. what's up. Back in black. <laughs> you are back in black. <laughs> Literally back in black. And then we've got Stan Guzzi here, who is a really old family friend of the Carlsons and the Vassalos. Yes. Yes, sir. So why don't we uh, start let's, it off, Let's Kel. get it going. Well, thanks for coming on today and listening to what we got, guys. We have a, a really fun show, and I think it's going to be one of those ones where you have a chance to just like soak in a lot of information and, and also just you know hear some really fun stories and some good times. But these two guys, Simon and Joey, both grew up with you, essentially around you, Stan. Yeah. And so, you know, I have a lot of questions about Joey when he was a kid. Oh, no. no. <laughs> Not good, is it? Not, Not good. good. Not yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> I know Simon is a shithead. Cause hey, I, well, he yeah, was way better of a kid than I was, man. Yeah, for actually, sure. Simon was like the nicest kid ever. <laughs> That's actually true. And now but, he's being corrupted. Now, yeah. now, now it's all downhill. Yeah. Exactly. Rejoined forces. It's yeah. bad. It's all bad. <laughs> it's really bad. No, Stan. Why don't you give us a little introduction into like who you are? And I mean, I've known you my entire life. I've yes. just always known of Stan Guzzi. Yes. And you've had fishing and hunting camps up in Canada, but then you've also worked in Kansas. Have you guide you guided at Habitat Flats, right? Yes, yes, I did. Yeah. yeah. So give us some background. How long you been a guide and kind of where you started and oh, wow. your well, journey. Uh that's a pretty good one. Uh probably the first commercial guiding I did um would have been about ninety five. So I was two years old. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> of course, um, I, that's when I met your your dad would have been about 90, about 92 mm. when I first met uh, Rob. So In La Quiparo or where? Yeah. Booked a hunt with Ultimate Bird Outfitters. No shit. Oh, yeah. Called him up. Cold called him. Picked up a card at the Northwest um, show, you know, right there in wow. Minneapolis. Yeah. And then uh, they used to have a really good sporting goods store in Minneapolis sold all calls grounds calls and R&T you know back in the day 
know, I mean, that's there was only three or four sporting goods stores that carried quality calls. Was that Dean's? I think it was, yeah. Because my dad always said that uh, Pete wanted to have his own Dean's. Yeah, it was old. <laughs> uh, it was an older gentleman that had it then. Um, but I mean, and he was also very active in the calling. Mm. You know, had, would have the calling contest and everything there. Oh, really? Yeah. And where was that? That was in Minneapolis? Yeah, it was in Minneapolis. Really? Yeah. Did he just, you know, grow old and sell the business or just you know, kind of move on? I don't or? know what happened. Because to be honest with you, he had a, he had a booth at the, uh, nor- at the Northwest show. Um, and it, we'd go talk to him because, like I said, he had a great selection of calls. Um, and went and talked and stuff. And, um, and, and then just kind of disappeared. Didn't come to the, you know, into the... Uh, back to the show, but you know, you, then you started to have people start really good doing stuff like herders. You know, started to carry yeah. calls. Cabela started carrying calls, and you know, once that happens, it it changed quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely. cool. So you've just been running and gunning for so you start yeah. thirty years. You started in ninety five, yeah, and where did you start guiding? In ninety five, we we started um, back in those days. You um, you didn't have to have a waterfowl an outfitter's license in Alberta if okay. you were a resident because I'm yeah. a Canadian resident. So we could go out there. And run an operation straight out of a hotel, um, and you you didn't have to have you know all you had to do was just you know uh, go and ask permission. Um, yeah, and as long as you were a Canadian resident, it was no problem. And then probably about the, I want to say it was the early two thousands is when they switched over to where Alberta became where you had to get your a lot like Saskatchewan, you had to get your um, you know your concession, your waterfowl, your outfitters permit, and then you were assigned areas, and then you know that's where you were going to hunt. How much were you paying back then for those? Well, I remember I got offered a an area around um, just north of Swift Current, Saskatchewan. Okay. No idea where that is. Okay. But. Uh, it's right on the Trans-Canada Highway. Oh. I actually um, know where that is. So in, in that area there, uh, this would have been about, about 99, I think. And you could have had almost, you had four units with, your, with that concession. Yeah. And it was $10,000. Wow. Yeah. And what are you paying nowadays? Oh, my gosh. If you're probably going to buy just one concession, um, well, first of all, there are no big concessions anymore because as soon as you bought one of those old-time concessions that had four or five units in it, some of them had six or seven units in it. Well, as soon as they did that, it would go into a review, and then the government would take about half of those away. Okay. Right. So what's a unit? They gave them way too many, you know, know, because it was so early. You know, here, here, here's your concession, and it came with, you know, six or seven units. Well, I mean, three hours to your outside of your – I mean, you would never go that far. Yeah, One, explain what, for the people listening what a unit is. Uh, it's just your wildlife management unit. And, so, uh, like, how big is a unit? Yeah, how big is that? All depends. Okay. Okay, they, they vary quite a bit in size. Um, usually depends on – and, again, they do a pretty good idea, you know, what your bird densities are. You know, I mean, obviously, if you got very good area, like let's say around the Quill Lakes, well, those areas that's high bird density, mm-hmm. so you know, you units don't have to be very big. Yeah, sure. You know, so then you're going to get into Western Canada. Um, you know, some of those units there can be a little thin. You know, your birds are going to be locked into one spot or here and there. So then they give you a little bit bigger unit. Um, but so it varies all yeah. through, through the province in Saskatchewan, and the same in in Alberta. Your wildlife management units there, you know, they change. I um, Saskatchewan. Usually both provinces, I know for Alberta and Saskatchewan, that's also your big game units as well. Hmm. So now whether or not you have tags in that unit, you know, I mean, that's a whole different thing as far as big game outfitting, but the, the, your bird, your waterfowl management unit units are the same as your big game okay. units. Yeah. 
Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So, okay, which I'm going to say this right now. It kind of blows my mind that it's changed that much oh, since, yeah. what, early 2000s? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's completely different. But, I mean... Um, like, in early 2000s, there weren't there weren't enough guides for them to not give you seven units. Right, right. And, and it's... It, it's... You you had hunting pressure up there. You had guys that were doing their own thing. But you yeah. got to remember, back in the day, guys didn't travel. I mean, they just didn't sure. travel to hunt like they do now. Yeah. You know, and a lot of that is because, of obviously, social media. Right. Um, and, and guys travel. We do. I mean, we want that season. And for a lot of people in Canada, that's your best. That is as good as your season is going to get. Is right. Is that 10-day road trip to Canada, right? I mm-hmm. mean, that's it. Yeah. And that's the high point. And it's the... 20th of September. That's a long season to go, you know. So we just didn't have that. You had guys that would come up and do it um, with outfitters, but very little, you know, do-it-yourselfers. Very few. Really? But nowadays there's a lot more freelancers. A lot more freelancers. And then you can still get into some units, some areas. We're lucky where we are that it's um, kind of we're all by ourselves, which really helps out. About People it. don't yeah. come up there too much. Right. And it, yeah, I mean, like, say, let's face it, Quill Lakes, if you have a Saskatchewan waterfowl operation, Quill Lakes sucks up a lot. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's got it. So it just, a lot of people end up there. So it really takes a lot of pressure off a lot of are, other areas because you just don't have near the, you know, do it yourself presence that you have yeah. anywhere else. So, real quick, with those guys coming up there, because that's going to be the best 10 days right. of their season. How much pressure does that put on you? Or is there really even any pressure because there's that many birds up there and you're just no. that good at your job? It's the worst place to guide ever. Really? Well, yeah. <laughs> Alberta or Canada? All Canada. Really? Why? Because your expectations are way too yeah. high. Hey, we're going to go. Yeah, right. <laughs> we're gonna, hey, we're going to, this is, you know, we're going to get skunked. This is going to suck. It's Canada. It can't be. These is, you know, I mean, come on, guys. I mean, everybody, if you can't kill them in Canada, come on, what are you going to do? Right. Yeah. So it's it, there's a lot of pressure on you. I mean, we need to kill, and the limits are insane. Which I mean, are you, which are what right now? Well, right now you can kill eight, eight ducks. ducks. Okay. Doesn't matter if they're hen or female. That's that's right. Right. They or can, hen, hen or hen or, or drakes. <laughs> right. Right. Now sometimes <laughs> we'll have it to where it's it. You know your pintail numbers. You know you can't kill eight pintails. Yeah. Mm. You know, but I mean that varies province to province. Depends. So you can kill eight ducks. You can kill twenty snows, and you can kill eight eight. Dark geese, Dark geese yep. but no more oh than. Oh my gosh! I think last year it was last five, year five it was, specs. It was five specs. Yeah. Okay, and then you can kill five cranes. Okay, <laughs> in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Okay, and so everybody when they go out, I mean, you gotta. I mean, hey, we we wore them out. How many we kill? Half a limit. Oh wow, half a limit. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. You know that's <laughs> only seventy five. You know. Oh, only oh, seventy five. Right. Right. That's what I mean. So it. it that's that's really the only. I mean, I've guided everywhere, and it's easier to guide in the states. Are the birds easier to hunt? No, but expectations are just so much lower. Yeah, and uh, I mean, let's face it, it. I always when we hunt, it's a triangle. You got to have a good hide. You got to have a lot of birds, and you got to have wind. Okay, mm-hmm. all three of those things come together on the triangle. It's a burner. Bermuda you, triangle. Right. <laughs> if you lose one of those, it's not going to – I don't care where you are, whether you're in Alberta or you're in Kansas. You lose one of those legs, you're, gonna, it, you're, you're behind. You're behind. You're two steps behind. And it's going to take quite a bit to, to catch up. So – and this is the same there. I mean, we might have tons of birds. Our hide's not good. 
or, you know, great hide, it's loaded, and it's two miles an hour winds at shooting time. You know, so, I mean, it's, that's, you, we all know, I mean, you know, that's going to hurt you. Or you got great wind, great birds, and your hide is horrible. You know, so it just, it does. It can, the Canada's, to me, Canada is the hardest one to hunt, for sure. Really? So you started guiding in 95? Yeah, it would have been 95, yeah. And did you start guiding for UBO? No, I did not. I never got it for UBO. Um, I just met Pete, yeah. Lauren, Rob, uh, and then, uh, of course, Grady Stevens, Adam Rometta, just um, Corey Kohler, just everybody yep. kind of got together, mm-hmm. um, which that's a whole other story in itself. <laughs> but um, And those guys, uh, I mean, everybody, I mean, we got Grady and Adam and Corey were from Southern Illinois, tight with, with Tim Grounds, um, and they taught us a lot. Well, I mean... I mean, the calling, I mean, that's where it was born. I mean, Marion, Illinois, Crab Orchard, Johnson City. I mean, that's where it, it's, I mean, you can say what you want, but that's where, it's where it started. Yeah. The Eastern Shore, Sean Mann stuff, you know, Josh Neuweiler, great, you know, but I mean. The hard-hitting. Yeah. Right. Godfather of goose calling, Southern Illinois. It's Tim Grounds. Yeah. I mean, his half-breed. I mean, that's where it was. That's where it is. So, I mean, and we got those guys. You know, and, you know, they were young. I mean, we're in our mid-20s. Well, Adam's our age. He was, so he was mid-20s. Corey was young. Grady was young, you know, and I mean. And they could rip. And they wanted to kill him. And not only that, guys, this is, what am I telling you? This is 95, 95, 96. Let's say it's 95. Well, the half-breed came out in 92, okay? Mm -hmm. You could kill him in a parking lot. Yeah, I mean, they'd never heard a short recall. So, I mean, you'd hit them, and you know, everybody was still blowing game flutes. Over. It was game over. You know, I was, it was insane. And there Rob, were Rob told me stories of woo-woo. Yeah, Jason Thomas, <laughs> yeah. woo-woo. Woo-woo, um, calling in geese with his mouth dude, to the parking lot. Dude, killed him right <laughs> at Marsh Lake, parking lot at Marsh Lake. Shot one one time. We're loading up in the truck, so we're all loading up. And the single cuts over Marsh Lake. Well, you know. We get on him, he just banks, comes right, I mean, just never even flaps, just comes right over the top. So the client just looks at it, just starts, he gets, starts getting his gun out of, out of his case, gets his gun out of his case. We're all calling, it just right over the top, boom, smokes it and almost falls in the back of a pickup truck. Back there. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, you, I mean, that's just, you got a hundred of those. But I mean, again, this is, this is I mean, the half breed, we're just starting to switch over to the mag clucker guts, you know, the night and hail guts, because that's, you know, where it eventually went from the half breed guts to mag clucker guts. Yeah. Which was, you know, and then it just, it, it blew up from there. You know? Yeah, it exploded. With the super mag with Tim. And then eventually, of course, foils comes into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then it really takes off from there. Yeah. But it was. It was just, it was a phenomenal time to goose hunt. It was. It was just, it was unbelievable. And what was the limit back then? Was it one or two? It was one. Really? Yeah. In Lac La Parra, it was one <laughs> goose. It was always one. So now, you, I think if you went far, far enough north, um, north of the Lac La Parra unit, you could get two. Mm. I, again, I can't remember. You know, we're talking ancient times. So when you're saying it was easier to guide in the States, <laughs> having a client shoot one goose Dude. versus eight. Dude, shot 35 of them out in the afternoon, <laughs> one goose at a time. Oh, my God. Right, you know? So, you, yeah. So, you know, Bob Lunsfield. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. The so tenth, you, or the 5,000 acres that they leased. So you had that. You had the eight-man pit. 
So you'd run eight guys out there. You had standing corn that was probably 100 yards, 150 yards from the pit. So you had guys that was the standby. You know, and shut just, up. Oh, yeah. dude, dude, it was it used was, to truck them in, truck them in. It was, it, it, I mean, it was and, LC would be at the end of the road oh, waiting for them. And, and had, as soon as the standing corn guys would come, they'd switch. They'd come from the <laughs> refuge, you know, from Lock Lepar. They come <laughs> so from the refuge. They come from the refuge and there was this red barn at the end of the field. Big red barn. So, and I mean, it was a long way from the field. And you got to remember, this is a stock chopped cornfield. You remember stock chop? I guess they yeah. still chop top, stock chop them here, right? Is that a... Is that silage or what? Well, no, I, it, it looks like a yellow carpet. It's oh, small, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, so, and we had 120 big feet. No one had 120 big feet, right? Yeah. This, so they would come off that refuge, and they'd come over that barn, and like Grady would look at somebody and say, we're going to kill these. The guy go, <laughs> what do you mean? He goes, these are done. <laughs> how, how many geese we need? We need four? Yeah, okay. You, you pack, start packing up your shit. We're going to kill these. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, they go, come on. And Grady go fifty bucks because if they flew over that red barn, yeah, they were dead. Yeah, <laughs> all right. So you know, okay, yeah, yeah, whatever, 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 right? You know, and of course, you know, the guy's eighteen. You know, he's got all you know lanyard. You know, anyway, yeah. right. So here they come. Two passes, they're done. Four geese, you're gone. You know, and I mean that it was every time, and it was it was phenomenal. It was just a great time to be goose hunting. So you'd have people waiting in the standing corn. Yeah. I think the most they shot out, I, and of course, again, I can't remember. I think the most they shot, and this one goose at a time, I think the most they shot out was almost 40, 40 42 or something like that. Yeah. I, I mean, it was insane. You know, we did, they Dude. did morning duck hunts and afternoon goose hunts. Unreal. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, you remember the minnow trapper? Oh, yeah. Tommy Coons? Tommy Coons. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So my dad would tell me stories of Tommy. He'd be trapping minnows. Yep. And he'd be like, Rob. You guys need to go out to this slough tomorrow morning. Rob, be like, okay, yep. we're going to bring our clients out yep. to this slough. Yep. We're going to shoot them that morning, and yep. then they bring them out for a goose hunt. Yep. I mean, that's just fucking insane. Yeah, you had more. Back then, that's insane. And also remember, guys, two <coughs> two duck limit, three duck limit. You know, and and again, hunting was. I, I want to say it was it was almost better with the lower limits because you got to remember the same guy that shot two ducks shot a limit shot his two mallards. Or three ma- three mallards, and shot a goose. He had a great day. Yeah, sure. Okay? Guess what? That doesn't fly now. No, right? I mean, right. you, you got to have. We got to have. You know, pile pick. You got to have four mallard drakes. You know, I mean, you can't even have a hen in there. You know, hell, you'll right. catch it on social media. So it's got to be four <laughs> mallard drakes. Yeah, and you know, your couple of shitters, and then you got to have you know all your geese. It, it just so it was it was fun. It was just it was it was fun. Yeah, that's crazy, man. No, um, I did a lot of guiding up in Fergus. I mean, guiding sure, sure. where I would just get invited because I could goose call and sure. it'd be like, hey, Joe, we're running clients. You can shoot your limit, but I would suggest to wait to shoot right. your limit until, right. you know, one in the afternoon. It's right. like, cool. And they literally had people sitting in the parking lot right. waiting. Yeah. We'd shoot our limit of geese. And this is a 16 man pit. Right. Shoot our limit of geese. Which is three. Take, take right. those, take those right. people out. Bring the next group in, get all their shit in the pit as fast as we can. And I mean, right. it's blizzarding. Right. Like we are smashing geese. And it's just, you have six good callers in the pit. Right. And it's just lights out. Right. So that's, that's yeah, crazy. Fergus that you guys is just, I mean, that's the only thing that I can think of that kind of reminds me of what you're talking about, you know, because Fergus stage is what, like 100,000 geese right now? Right. Uh, 80,000 to 100,000. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, they have like three pits. The guy's from feet down. He has right. five now. Does he have five now? Yeah. yeah. But at one point, three pits, 
and they were going to crush them on every pit every day. Right. You know, it's like you're you're going to shoot your 48 if there's 16 guys in there. Right. And see, back in our day, Fergus, the, really the only camp was there. Horse and Hunt had a camp at Fergus. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. So that was, that was back when Bill owned it? Yes. Really? Um, this is, well, this is, again. Oh, no, this he's is, owned it since the 80s. This is mid-90s. So, right, yeah. I mean, early 90s, or, yeah, mid-90s. But so, yeah, so the, her, the Horse and Hunt had their Fergus club, and that was really every, the only thing you heard of for Fergus because, I mean, Lock Leparo was yeah. the, the center, center of the, of the world. universe. And then, yeah. of course, Rochester, too. But, I mean, Lock Leparo at that time of year, because, I mean, obviously, I mean, you know, Rochester didn't really get good until, you know, that after Thanksgiving and Christmas time stuff. But, right. But, you know, I mean, till Halloween, you know, I mean, Lock Leparo was it. That's yeah. so crazy, man. It's yeah. crazy. I yeah. wish I could go back in time and, like, be of age. I know. Right. You know? Right. I mean, yeah, I, I know Simon feels the, the same way. Hey, listen, let me tell you. It was it was pretty rocking there. You guys just <laughs> best that you probably are doing what you're doing now. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by rocking? Yeah, Stan? you know exactly what I mean by. No, rocking. I would love for you to tell <laughs> it on the podcast here. This is none of this is PG thirteen. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that kind of brings me to a question, right? Because we're talking about like the changes that have happened even over twenty five, thirty years. So has hunting culture changed? Um, I the. the the only thing, as far as it, as as a, ch- a culture change goes, um, yeah, I, I think it. People just they're they're not happy nowadays unless there's a giant pile. Yeah, you know, and I I you know again I like shooting them. Now I like getting people into those shoots more mm-hmm. than I like shooting them. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's really what you're doing it for. I mean, you want those guys to kill a hundred birds, mm-hmm. you know, but I, unfortunately I, I kind of think that there's, there's a little too much of, we have to kill those hundred birds. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, really that's it. Um, uh, and see the gen- like you guys, your generation, uh, not so much Simon and cause I think you guys can remember hunting ducks without a spinner. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. Really, the the thing that I, uh, for me, um, you know, is a, those guys who have never duck hunted without spinners. You know, so they so you you're really tainted to that. And I don't. I have nothing against a spinner. It, whatever gets you to have a successful hunt, do it. Do it. Yeah. Um, it, as long as it's legal. <coughs> yeah. Right. I mean, but. Um, uh, it, Guys just, I mean, like, we've hunted without spinners, and it's hard to to, to, to really be able to, to tell people how much of a difference the spinner made. Right. And even today, because people say, well, it doesn't work as good as it, it used to, and that is true, but it, it's still huge, you know, and it, it's, so it's kind of hard for, for people to realize just how much that has changed waterfowl hunting culture. Yeah. Um, and then as far as big game hunting is, of course, we're living in the best time for big game hunting in history. Why is that? Oh, the deer hunting, the management, mm. elk hunting, antelope hunting, um, your mule deer hunting, the, the ability, uh, public land. Uh, you can go to your phone now and it's all there. Yep with onyx map all that i mean everything's there um 
it, it is for big game hunting, especially it is because I mean, I think even more than waterfowl hunting that right now we're living in the golden age of big game hunting. No doubt. No doubt at all. Really? Sure. Just because of our apps and our phone and, and, um, and the willingness for people to travel, you yeah. know, and, and, and states do a really good job. A lot of over the counter tags, especially bow hunting. Gun hunting is a little bit more planning because you know, there's, you, there's a little bit more restriction on being able to get tags or guns. Yeah. Uh, but as far as bow hunting goes, you can't beat it. I mean, it's awesome. Hmm. But, and, and even, like I said, even, and the same with waterfowl hunting. I mean, what you have in, in the palm of your hand for access to waterfowl land is, is unbelievable. It's insane. So, so you, you bring it, sorry, you bring up the spinner. I was going to ask you this question and then you reminded me of it again. What do you think was more influential for waterfowl hunting? Was it the short reed goose call or was it the spinner? It's the spinner. Really? It just, yeah, cause it was just night and day for, yeah. for ducks. It just made them stupid. Well, it, yeah, I, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not so much, it, what happened is, is it used to be, like, say you had a, an area, well, let's just say Marsh Lake, well, mm-hmm. you you looked at Marsh Lake, you had the A spots on Marsh Lake, the B spots, and the C spots, mm-hmm. well, when the spinner first came out, <laughs> if the C spot had spinners, A and B were just watching the show, right? I mean, what? that's just how it was. Mm. Now, now with spinners and the way as long as it's not fresh migrating ducks or whatever right um the a spot with a spinner is going to do better than the b or c spot with a spinner right but what the spinner has done has made spots that weren't even g spots f spots (laughs) yeah phenomenal Mm. it's so interesting you say that because like i mean i know you said us but i this will be my eighth year hunting this coming year yeah so, like, I'm in more Simon's mindset, right? Because, like, ever since I've hunted, we've used spinners. Yeah. And so, for me, the question is, like, how has that... I mean, I see how it's changed waterfowl hunting, but how has it changed the culture? You know, like, do you know what I mean? Well, I think a little bit of it... it some of it has to do... Because you, you have two divided... You have two camps. You have... We hate it. Get rid of it. It's the worst thing ever. And then you have the guys that, you know, generally you know, are, you know, favor, favorable to it. Um. Yeah. What would be the reason for not having it? Oh, I, I can't see one. I can't. Because I, I think it, 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 for hunters, if you can go out, use it, and it helps you kill ducks, I mean, that's a good thing. Um, do I think it hurts the population? Do I think it's made ducks a little more nocturnal? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it, it is... They fly, they die. If it's sunny, it's windy, and they're spinners, and they fly, they're going to die. Yeah. I mean, that's how it is. I mean, the only reason you don't kill them in that cut cornfield when they're coming to, I mean, the only reason is because there's none in the air. That's it. If you see ducks, sure. you kill ducks, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and and that whole, don't even get me started on that. I mean, that wasn't even a thing mm-hmm. uh, 25 years ago. Yeah. There was no dry field hunting. That, I mean, it didn't happen. It, in Canada, if... We had, you had to be, if you had a duck feed in a field, you had to be on the X. And I mean, not only that, you, I mean, you had to be in, I mean, right in the center of the X. If there was ducks in that barley field, you couldn't be 50 yards off. No shit. Oh, dude, nothing. To where now you traffic them in a cornfield or a barley field or whatever with spinners. Yep. It's totally, we didn't have that in Canada. You didn't have it. 
wasn't there. I mean, you and, and, and don't even get me started on that. I mean, that's a whole different. I mean, it completely spinners completely invented dry field hunting. You know, which you guys again, you don't. Yeah. Hey, well, okay. I'll get prime example. Winnipeg, where I am, Okamik, um, the Netley Marsh, which is the southern end of Lake uh, Winnipeg. Okay. Okay. That's the Netley Marsh. It's where the Red River, okay, comes into Lake Winnipeg. Now, Lake Manitoba, the Assiniboine River goes in and makes the Delta Marsh. Well, everybody's heard of the Delta Marsh. Yeah. Okay? yeah. Well, the Netley Marsh is exactly like the Delta Marsh. Okay. Um, it, the rich people in Canada had their duck clubs on the Netley Marsh. Mm. Okay. Okay, on Lake Winnipeg. With Jimmy Robinson's Sports of Field Club on the Delta, where, you know, uh, Gary Cooper, John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart, Clark Gable, um, every editor of Sports of Field, you know, they hunted with Jimmy Robinson. So, mm. of course, in the United States, the Delta Marsh became super famous. Well, when they built Okamik, um, when they built it, it used to be just a bog. Well, when they built it, they went in there, they built um, wetlands, holding ponds, and all that. Well, that completely, uh, really, really cut almost all the puddle ducks out of the Netley Marsh and a lot of it out of the Delta Marsh, where those puddle ducks now go right there. Is that a refuge? It's a refuge. Okamik okay. is it was where the DU Canada headquarters is, just north of Winnipeg. Okay. So now you have all these ducks. You know, they, they have a couple of pools there. They have, I think, seven pools. Um, again, they drain them, all that stuff. So it's all full, man, uh, you know, managed habitat. So the the duck pools uh, would hold thousands of mallards, thousands of puddle ducks, and we couldn't hardly kill them in the fields around Winnipeg. It was very difficult to kill them. We don't have any potholes. <coughs> there's no oh, flooded really? corn. There's no flooded wheat. I mean, there's no managed waterfowl, you know, puddle duck spots around Oak Hammock. Couldn't kill them. I mean, it was very difficult. Again, like I'm telling you, we'd find an X. They're in that field. We'd go in there. We'd have a good shoot. You know, I mean, it was real wild card stuff. Geese, no problem. Sure. Kill all yeah. the geese you want, right? Mm -hmm. Well, then the spinners came. 1999. You know? Yep. And then that was it. It went to where, you know, now all I have to do is betwe be between where they're going to feed, you know, and, and, the, and the refuge. That was it. Uh, it we, we kill all the ducks we want. I mean, that was that, was that big game changing. And mm, I mean, wow. right, you'd have a whole season. I'd run 60 clients. We'd kill 50 ducks with an eight-duck limit. Oh, with, my God. With no spinners, right, to where you killed, you know, limits yeah. every day. Totally, totally because of spinners and are they eating you know invertebrates in the oak hammock deal or are they just not field no they're, they're at feeding all? in fields oh, okay. it's just it was so difficult to get in and on them sure I mean, you know i mean and even when you did have the field you know you know here they are this is where they're feeding this is the spot it was extremely difficult to you know get right you just i mean it was so tough you remember this is pre-gps yeah Pre look at your phone and see this the top of no top onyx map. maps no onyx map, so you, it, you it was fit. I mean, you guys, I'm telling you, I mean, it was a 
you you would do it the field access road because these were different fields you were hunting every day. So the field access road, you'd, you'd have a five-gallon bucket there. So you didn't drive by it at 100 miles an hour when it's pitch black. So you'd have yeah. a bucket at your field access road, you know, and then you'd wait for the birds to fly out. Well, the birds would fly out. Well, then you would drive in, you know, I mean, hopefully get in there before it got too dark, and then you would put a shovel there with another five-gallon bucket right where they were you'd look for you know obviously the poop all that stuff but you knew pretty good from glasses right you know from you know glassing them where they flew from so you would put that that stupid um, shovel with the five gallon bucket there so then your access road was marked because you didn't couldn't walk on our gps you didn't have one yeah and it all looked the same at four o'clock in the morning oh, driving down sure. right you can imagine yeah. that gravel road so then you turn at your bucket Think, you know, I mean, and then of course it got to be where it would blow at night. I mean, you're putting rocks in it, whatever. Think, you know, hoping all night or you think somebody's going to move my fucking bucket. You know, what am I going to yeah. do then? You know, I got, you know, eight clients and no bucket. So, and then you would turn in at the bucket, drive around that field till you saw your freaking, you know, and then, okay, you know, GPS comes. Well, then I mark your turn in, you know, and then you mark, then you mark, you just drive right in there, hit your GPS right where you're going to set the next day. Yeah. Totally different. Yeah, that's freaking nuts. Um, <clears throat> I can't even imagine that because I mean, when did Onyx come out? Five, six years ago? So yeah, I mean, maybe. it came out maybe oh, before yeah. that, but I think it got big, you know, five years ago. Right. right. Because when I first started field hunting, like by myself, outside of Rob and sure, you know, anyone else who's taking me, my first time was probably Dundas, and that was well, that was the first time I took it really seriously, where I grabbed as many GHG Century decoys with the band right. on their leg. Right. And put them mm-hmm. next to a, a flooded bean field. And that was the first time. And I saw them there, and there were ways out there in the field. It was too muddy. You couldn't drive. So I had to kind of guess, and I found the poop and the feathers. Right. But I was about 30 to 40 yards off. And thank God I had just gotten good on a goose call at that time. So I was able to bring them closer right. to me. Right. But I was definitely off. And I remember thinking, man, I wish there was like a thing where I could see exactly where they wanted to go. Because there was 150 that landed where they wanted oh, to yeah. go. And I'm like, shit. That's that's one thing that that it, whether you're trafficking ducks or trafficking geese, it, it, it's exactly the same. When you're some of the hardest birds to kill are birds that are coming to your field, okay? Yeah. Because you you can't fuck it up. Well, you with your trailer of decoys, mm-hmm. okay, and your calls are battling a 200 acre field. Mm-hmm. Okay, those geese are coming to 200 acres. Yep. Now you are trying to make them go where they don't want to go. Right. Yep. Right? Trafficking birds, they are working you. They're not working the field. Right. When they start working, ducks or geese doesn't make any difference. They are working you. Same in right. same in a cornfield. When you're shooting ducks in a cornfield, you are working against an 80-acre cornfield. Now, if you're mobile in that cornfield, a little different. But come on, you got a pit, you got a set pit. So those birds aren't feeding right around your pit. So you are working against an 80, 90 acre cornfield. So, I mean, it makes it tough, makes it tough. Yeah. Okay. Now reverse that and you're hunting a pond or something that you're trafficking ducks. Yeah. That are coming to that pond. I mean, just flying by that pond. They are working you, they're working your spread. Yep. The whole deal. It's much, I mean, your hide, I I guess your hide has to be better trafficking. Because I mean, because yep. they're not as comfortable, obviously, because they mm-hmm. haven't been feeding right. it for a month or whatever, or a day or whatever they're doing. So your hide, you know, there's some things that you have to really concentrate on that you can't quite get away with, you know, trafficking that maybe you could get away with on an X, on an X. But 
you know, it, 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 it's, it's a big difference. And I mean, like we're saying, you can't get to that X or whatever in a feeding field, like there's no hide. I mean, your hide sucks. And now you're in a dilemma. Okay. Well, I got a great hide over here, but I'm 200 yards from the, the X well, yeah. right there. You know, it's gonna, it's, there could be 10,000 in that field. You're 200 yards away from the X and, and you got to, I mean, but then you got to make the decision. Okay. Our hide is going to suck there. Right. Know? But, but we're going to make it up with numbers. Yep. Right. Okay, but man, that's a great hide there. You know what we are going to get in. You know they're going to get in there pretty nasty. It's so it's so funny you say that because you were just saying the other day, uh, you were talking about how like there's times where you would take a traffic field with a really good hide over oh. an X with a terrible hide every time, every, every time. time, every time, man. It's just you were talking about the triangle, and I yeah. was going to ask you. Out of all those three legs, which one would you rather have? And I think I'd rather have a good no hide. wind. Oh, absolutely. I, I would rather take oh, out of absolutely. if I was going to lose a leg of that triangle, I'd take no wind versus a like a bad hide I, I or you, the birds aren't flying exactly right over right. that spot. And then that would the same thing with the you know okay I take the good uh, you know hide wind and less birds you know what yeah. I mean something like that yeah. yeah so but absolutely absolutely because yeah. you can only kill so many. I mean, if you're going to get some and, and they're going to do it, and then that's, that's better right. than... And it's also a numbers game. Okay, so so we're talking about a poor hide. So there's poor hide. Um, okay, but but you're thinking you're going to make it up with sure numbers. Let's face it. If you have enough birds fly over you... You're going to be fine. You're going to kill something. Yeah. It's going to happen. It's going to come together. If So now you're just beating it with numbers. That's it. Yep, but right. if, you, if you have a good hide and a, and a good wind and less birds, let's face it, you, what you're going to work is going to finish and you're going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to have, you know, you're going to get better shots off those. Yeah. But it's, I'm, but easily traffic Yeah, with, with a good hide. Well, and the thing that I really like about traffic too is you're forcing those birds to, some, to do something that they're not accustomed to. Right. And it's just so much more rewarding. Right. I love that feeling when you can't get on the X. Right. And you're just in between the roost in the feed right. and you yank those things or just migrators in right. general and you just yank those things right. down and they come down the elevator. Right. God, that is the coolest he, fucking thing and yeah, ever. And with geese, it's a little different because, you know, obviously, because spinners, duck traffic with spinners, uh, uh, I mean, what would take back in the day uh, two, three, four hundred duck decoys to break down traffic? And and that's where I was kind of getting in with spinners. Um, it, there are spots that wouldn't kill a duck now with a thousand decoys on them that people are killing tons of ducks off of with 80 floats and spinners. Yeah. So you really can't, we're, we're goose hunting. If you put a thousand <laughs> decoys, you know, in a spot traffic, yeah. it's over. Yeah. Where, you know, ducks are different. I mean, you could have a pond. Or, I mean, I've been there. I've seen it where you have a pond that, you know, that for years guys hunted and was not very good, and they would have monster spreads on, have a good line over it, and just wouldn't kill them there. To where now they got 80 decoys there and spinners, and they're wearing them out. Yeah. And they're killing birds every day. Yeah. My God. Real hmm. quick, have you ever heard of camo retro, Stan? No, I have. Oh, yes, I have. Yeah. yeah. I saw it on uh, on Instagram. Instagram. No, they're, they're a sponsor of the podcast, and... um Dude, I love Camo Retro. And one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is you've been hunting for decades, you know, not to try to make you sound super old or anything. <laughs> right. Old. But you've seen every pattern of camel. 
that yeah. has been out there. Yes. And I'm sure you have a favorite camo from the 90s or the 80s where you're like, man, I just love how that thing looks. Right? Well, what's your favorite camo pattern? Old school Mossy Oak Breakout. I mean, um, just old school Bottomland. Old school Bottomland? Old land? school Bottomland. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mossy, old Mossy Oak is some of the coolest shit. And Rob yeah. has a bunch in his closet, oh, of yeah. course. You know, yeah. from hunting with Doc Carter and... That was it. I mean, it was uh, it was OG. I mean, it was. I know it was OG, right? And then when Shadowgrass came, the original Shadowgrass, mm-hmm. when Fred Zink ran it, I mean, that was yeah. badass. Oh, that was it. No, yeah. so if you if you wanted to like go back and find some of that stuff, all you got to do is go on camoretro dot com, and you like, can like I'm guessing you have some really old camo pieces. Yeah, I do have that you probably don't want to part with, but if you did want to part with them, you could probably get a pretty good price on them. Yeah, at camoretro dot com. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty cool, man. It is really cool. There's, a, it's just, it's sweet to see because he's right now he's got this crazy hat collection on there. Yeah, I've seen and Simon. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, I've seen and yeah, I'd Simon. Not talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> Simon has a couple hats from there. You lucky duck. But anyway, it's it's cool to see all that. It's cool to see some of that stuff resurface, and it's an easy place to find it. So it almost has a weird sentimental value for me, just because I've oh, seen yeah. I've seen it in person, like especially in the pictures. All the old from, pictures oh, would have I know, all of it, right? I yeah, know, exactly. dude. It's just like holy shit. I want a piece of that for myself in size medium, whereas Rob's an XL or whatever. Right, right. You know, <laughs> yeah, I can't. Yeah. Even if I did wear it, I'd look like I'm swimming in it. <laughs> so, so guys, go to CamaRetro.com to buy and sell new or used, or find that really sick old piece you want. Yeah. So. Stan, I wanted to ask you, you know, it, all this, all this kind of talk, like the old days and like the old generations versus the new generations, you know, it, it brought me to a question that I had kind of thought of and I wanted to ask you and, you know, that's like, uh, is there a gripe that some of these older generations have with us younger guys or like a frustration, you know, like, is it, cause I, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? Right, right, right. Cause right. we get the like, oh, you haven't earned it or, you know, the well, whatever it is. And I just, I wonder what, you know, in your mind, what is that? Well, I don't, um, you know, like today's, you know, sometimes we, <laughs> at least me, me personally, right, smirking right, like right, a right. Some bitch. right, right. Me personally, um, there's only, there's really only two things that, that kind of drive me crazy. Mm. Um, one is, is the kind of the overwhelming, um, you know, we're the first ones to do any of this, mm. you know? Um, and not picking on dive bomb, but Hey, here's a silhouette decoy, you know, like, wow, this is brand new. You know, it's a great decoy. We run it in Canada. It runs great, but we've been killing them over silhouettes that you're cutting out of plywood, you know, since the forever, 70s, yeah. forever. Um, and, 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 and there's sometimes you, you get that feeling that pe- then on the other end of the spectrum is you can't kill a goose unless it's over a full body decoy. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, what happened to shells? What happened to the super mag? you know, GNHs, you know, the 42 oh inchers, the 36 yeah. inches. The ones that you hide under. <laughs> Killed the shit out of them with those things, you know? And now if you roll your trailer out, start unless they're sleepers, you know, and you start rolling them out, right. they're like, holy shit, man, what is this, 1985 <laughs> or what? Yeah. But, and just a little bit of the, you know, you know, that, like, we haven't, you know, we haven't seen it before. Yeah. Right. You know? But well, up. social media hasn't seen it before, that's and true. I think that's where a lot of that comes from. That's true. But then, you know, they have their own cult. Dive Bomb has a cult where right. people post a picture on Facebook, right. and they said, people say you can't kill them over silhouettes. Right. Whereas I know right. our barn at the cabin 
on oh. Big Stone is oh, just gosh. like it's just loaded with those old with V boards, tons and tons of V boards, the ugliest right. decoys ever. Right, you know. So it's not news to me, and so it's like it's easy for me to pick up a silhouette and I'll be like, I'll kill the shit out of him right. over a silhouette. Yeah. It's not a big deal for me. You right. know, well, could, you guys also. I mean, I was very very lucky with Grady Adam. Uh, Corey and those guys, you know, getting to get to Southern Illinois and seeing just, you know, and hunting at Tim's place and, and, uh, seeing the, the, really the last of the, you know, goose hunting in Southern Illinois and Marion, um, crab orchard, um, you know, the big black and white spreads, um, the V boards, uh, silhouettes that were, you made two out of a piece of plywood. They were so big, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know how much, you know, true, true refuge goose hunting which is really kind of dying out because mm-hmm. there's, there's really, you know, other than like I have an oak hammock, I had an oak hammock in Canada. There's really just not much true 250, 300,000, 400,000 dark geese just over that fence. You, you yeah. just don't have that anymore. And uh, so, like I said, I was really lucky to get to see all that stuff. But I mean, some of that stuff they killed it, you know, they were killing them over. I mean, it was, it was very interesting spreads. The migrator spreads from tires. You know, when, yeah. you know, I mean, when they got the call from Horicon that it was on, here they come, you know, they would run out there, uh, Adam and those, I mean, they'd load them up in pickup trucks and set all these big, you know, half cut, you know, I mean, a quarter cut tire yeah. spreads, you know, and, and then you put your sugar around the pit, you had your, you know, full bodies or the good shells around there. And then the rest of it was, you know, uh, you know, plywood numbers. Spread. Yeah. Yeah. That's all it was. So, I mean, it just, and seeing how they did it, how they would make the field, how they would set the field to where one pit would call the shot and then everybody would shoot flares. Yeah. You know, so I, I mean, mean, how far off were the pits there? Because I've heard this okay, many it, times. Okay. If it was a commercial pit, if it was a commercial, commercial field, they had to be 200 yards apart. Okay. Oh, okay. Private club didn't make any difference. And they would set that spread so that, of course, it would change varying wind, but you know how it is. If it was on a migrator day, it was northwest wind. So... Um, and there's a lot of stories they'd have, you know, they'd blow, blow over the refuge and have to come back. That was how it would be on the Southern line and stuff like that at Crab Orchard. But so, so you would get that, you know, I mean, you know, these big migrator flocks, they would get into the field, get them into that center pit. And, you know, I mean, every, I mean, you'd have pits, they, they would crawl over that pit at 20 yards. You couldn't call the shot. So <laughs> they'd let them just, they just, or cut right across the front or whatever, you know, and I mean, they would let them go in and get into that center pit because, you know, the field is set to, I mean, those guys, those guys were the masters, you know, Roy Rometta. I mean, I, they are going to do it right here. And when they do it right here and we call the shot, there's 20, 25 geese, 30 geese, 40 geese, it's migrator flock. They're going to blow out with the wind and they're going to kill them for four pits down the line. And Dear that's what God. Yeah, it was unbelievable. It's some serious planning. That's insane. Yeah, it's what it was. And I mean, and it was, and I mean, if somebody screwed that up in 1979, okay, when you were at that goose club in 1997, they were still talking about him screwing it up. In 79. In 79. You remember we had that big wad coming in and Charlie, you know, shot him at 20 when they slid across pit two. Oh, yeah. I I mean, still talking about it. That's so insane. It was, it was, and I, and like Don't I said, screw the pooch. And it was the greatest place to waterfowl hunt by far. Really? Oh my gosh. It was, it was electric. Why? Because of the amount of birds just or just everything like the that was going on? It's just, yeah. I mean, so depending on the day, you know, with the wind, 
they would fly out different directions. I mean, obviously, if you had a big wind one direction, they'd fly out the west side or they'd fly out the east side or the south side. So, it, you know, as soon as that started going, you know, the phone calls would come. Well, everybody wanted to kill geese, so they'd call, hey, hey, they're flying out. They're flying out heavy over Honker's Corner. You guys got to get over here. Get, I mean, people would start driving over there, and everybody, I mean, from different clubs, and they'd get over there and shoot them. And then the next day, okay, you had a huge, you know, uh, north wind or something, so the south was hot. And, I mean, it was it was just phone calls, and, and, and you had Tim Grounds there, which, come on. I mean, that was, you know didn't need me any more than that so it was it was just it was a fun place to hunt yeah that's and cool, like i said man. i'm really i feel lucky because about 99 2000 was probably about the last of the really you really said 99 2000 about i want to say 99 2000 2001 was probably about the about the last gasp and now they're all duck clubs and they kill a lot of ducks they had a lot of ducks down there then but no one wanted to shoot right. ducks as far as i know they're mainly killing them off the river I think uh, the Ohio down south and the Illinois. Oh, and oh, on the Illinois River. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of that now, of course. I don't is, know if that's the same area or not, but I'm pretty sure it's within an hour. Well, right? no, it's it's your you're quite a way south of Marion. Okay, yeah. But I mean, most of that honey now, you know, with those geese, they just don't come that. They're in Chicago. They just don't push that far south. So they'll go. For, well, they don't need to leave, right? That's right. They yeah. they're in Horicon. That's where they stage. That's the MVP flock. So that's the Mississippi Valley population. So they're going to stage at Horicon, which we all know in Wisconsin. Yep. And then they'll push from. They used to push right from Horicon right to Marion, um, to Crab Orchard. But um, now those geese are going to hung up in the Fox River Valley in like Chicago, something mm. like that. And and now. And now it's even bad. I mean, if they get 9, 10, 12, 13, 14 inches of snow, they still just push. That's the, incredible. They just push the snow line, and they're just not going to do it. Well, yeah. him and I, Cal and I, hunted with a Foul Feathers Hunt Club. It's a lease club. So the the club itself leases all this land, and then you pay a, yep. you pay a membership, you know, a membership fee, mm-hmm. and then you can hunt all these fields, but you have to secure them like, via app. They, like, have a, okay. they have an app and a okay. website, so you like go on, and you'll put in a draw. For a field, so like the guy, there's a lot, and they have like 150 fields, I think now. I mean, it's a wow. shitload. They had like 85, I mean, like five years ago, wow. four years ago. But anyway, they have a lot of fields there, so they have and you that's know, in X amount of members. Oh that's yeah, in Joliet. yeah, just south Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's I think it's an hour and a half southwest of like Chicago. Yeah, hour, yeah. hour and, and half, the yeah. amount of geese there. And I mean, we're calling, and you're you can hear your calls bouncing off of a subdivision. Right. Right. I mean, if I asked the guy several times, like, is this legal to hunt here right. because yeah. of Minnesota? It no blew our right. minds. No bueno. It blew our minds. Because right. we legitimately There's stand- a Jimmy John's quarter mile away. Yeah. And then you turn right and you're in a cornfield and there are houses surrounding the entire cornfield. And for some oh reason, gosh. you can still hunt it. Right. We went you know? to this field. We went to a grass field. Yeah, like it was our a sod, second day there. It was a sod farm. It was a, it was yeah. a sod, oh, farm. Yeah. sod yeah. farm. But it was yeah. like 100 acres, maybe. Yeah, way less than that, dude. No, because it, it, it stretched it really long ways. Not the field, not just that area, just that farmed area. It was like 100 acres. We were on like a 20 it felt acre. so wrong. We were on a 20 <laughs> acre sod farm stand, and there was a house on every side of us within 500 yards. Wow. It was, and we were hunting there. And you, I'm like, you'd blow a cluck, and it'd be like, whoop, whoop. Like you'd hear yeah. echo back within like two seconds. Off like, of, oh off of like 3,500 square right. foot subdivision houses. It was wild. And we were like, oh my gosh. But yeah, when we pulled up, I was like, we're legal to hunt here. Where do we need to shoot? Like, right. and he was like, "We're going to shoot at those houses." I was like, "Are you serious?" Eating Jimmy John's? Yeah, no, no it was crazy. Send somebody but to the pit. Yeah, run over there. Yeah, Jimmy John's. I don't know. It's it's so it's so wild, and it's so interesting to talk to you know, kind of like I don't want to call you old, but an older generation of hunter, and just hear like the changing that has happened. You know, like in thirty years, sure, 
and we were talking about 25, 30 years, 20 years, and you say early 2000s. Oh, yeah. 20 years. Right. I know. It's well, just insane, you know, for me to, like, try to process that. Well, Illinois had, you know, in those days you had, a, I think it was broken into three zones. You had the northern zone, middle zone, and the southern zone, and you had yeah. a quota system, you know, so once you reached your quota, the season was closed. Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously once, you know, once it was rocking, it didn't take them long to close a quota. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean the, the whole interesting thing to me is like, you know, what I, one, one question I kind of had for you, um, you know, in terms of like the changes that, that I've seen, you know, totally different from like the changes that, that you've seen. Um, although, like you said, the one thing that's constant is the change, you know, so like how much, how much do you think, uh, in terms of back then, right? Were there more hunters then, or do you think there's more people hunting now? And and are there more serious hunters now? I think uh, I I think there's there's more hunters and there's more serious hunters. You know, it used to be if like say I did a, quite a bit of hunting in um, public southeast Kansas um, as an example. Um, Kansas, you know, it, it's not like Illinois. It's not like Iowa. Um, you know, that's heavy, heavy pressure on waterfowl, you know, public land waterfowl. Yeah. It's heavy. Kansas, we've been spoiled. It's really, you know, back in the day, especially when I was doing it, if you hunted during the week, you were by yourself. Yeah. Weekend, you know, it's it's going to, you know, you're going to have to get up a little extra early. You're going to get there. You're going to have to, you know, have a pretty good plan. Uh, what I've noticed now, um, one is that there's way more non-resident hunters in Kansas hunting the public. Um, so of course they're going to be hunting. I mean, if they're planning a trip, you know, most of them are not going to want to try to do most of it on a weekend. They're going to hunt during the week. Yeah. Um, so you don't have quite the freedom that you had during the week. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, so you think there's more hunters now though? I think there's more hunters. Cause the weird thing is like, you see, the they're always telling, they always tell you there's low hunting numbers. Okay. Yeah. But see, we were just talking, Simon and I were just talking about this, um, before you know again what we were just talking about you know like big game hunting well uh, you know again with social media or or just you know your access to just public data period you know the maps and all that um they're, they're always telling you there's less hunters but when you go to your favorite uh, antelope spot in wyoming that's public that you can just buy the tag over the counter you used to go there there was two cars now there's 60 60 right right, right. and same with the waterfowl honey um, they always tell you the numbers are going down, but guys, come on, the equipment that guys have nowadays. Yeah, I mean they're rolling in with the Prodigy, with the you know yeah. with the mud motor, and you know all, it, we didn't have any of that stuff. I mean you didn't have anything. I mean you had a bag of decoys that hit you in the calf every step you yep. took when you were walking <laughs> in, you know, and they didn't have any paint def- on them because they were all carry lights, you know. I mean. It, that's that what was you good. that was what you had you know now i mean some guy rolls up i mean i mean he's got the net you know net worth of some countries there so i mean it's just it's it's different it's just totally different so yeah. are they serious they're they're more serious yes so now these people are accessing stuff that we normally didn't you know couldn't hunt yeah so i feel that there's more hunters um how do you explain then, I mean, like, is it just a load of bullshit that we're selling half the amount of, of state waterfall stamps that we used to? That might be, but but guys are going more. If that's the case and they're sure. going more, um, which a lot of that's probably just to justify the cost of the equipment, you know, that you're buying. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it used to be that 
an outfitter. Well, we just talked about it. We had a hundred. They had uh, uh, Ultimate Bird Outfitters had 120 big feet. Okay, I think yeah. that was huge. I mean, those were at that time they were twenty five dollars a piece. Jeez, right. So you're like, I mean, an outfitter had that and a trailer. Okay, well now guy that hunts three times a year has a trailer full. You know, yeah, and we're yeah. you know we don't even talk about Dave Smith. You know, I mean, so. And guys have, I mean, you just didn't have that kind of stuff. I mean, outfitters had that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now it's everybody has the everyday that Joe, freelancer. Has yeah. So if it's 160,000 in the 70s, but now it's only 80,000, well, the 80,000 guys are going every Twice weekend as much. as much as they can, and they've got everything. And they're traveling. Traveling. They're yeah. Traveling. That's a big thing, too. Because, like you said, you see 60 cars going to an antelope spot. Well, right. half those guys are probably not from Wyoming. Well, the spot that I hunt in southeast Kansas, and I've grown up there hunting there, and it's a phenomenal spot. I drive into it now. I'm there all season. So our season in Kansas runs 74 days, and I hunt almost every day. So 74 days, I'm and I drive every day into the parking lot of the public. Um, I'm not hunting the public, but I just drive around just scouting to see what's to going see, on. See who's there. See what's yeah. up. Now it's about... Well, um, it's 80% non-resident every day. Yeah. Based off their license plates? Right. And half of those are Arkansas. No shit. Right. Wow. Right. Um, how far of that? A, how far of a drive is that? Uh, you're probably, say you're coming, well, six hours. Right. I mean, that's still a haul. That's still a haul. But let's, um, waterfowl hunting in Arkansas is a whole other story. So, I mean, it's those guys... They're getting, I mean, resident hunters are getting pushed out of Arkansas. So, I mean, it's it's just, and Louisiana, I mean, the birds don't go that far south. They just don't. I mean, unless you have extreme weather, which we didn't get this year till the second week second week of February. Right. right. So, um, just enough to screw everybody's snow goose hunting up. Right. So, <laughs> so without, without them getting those birds, they're going to travel. They have to travel. Because, I mean, I mean, Louisiana... I mean, it's there. It's drastic. Down we've there. we've been there twice, twice now in the last Dude. four years. And yeah, the I, first time we went there, unbelievable amount of birds, no flooded, nothing flooded to hunt. Right. Yeah. And so everyone was hunting the same spot. Impossible to kill them after the first day. Right. And right. then the second time we went there, a lot of water, perfect. You know, go no, there. No, ducks. no fucking ducks. No ducks. Right. No ducks. I mean, there were wood ducks. Right. But that's not why we're there. Right. You know, we'll there shoot was, a couple first light. Right. And then we're gonna wait for mallards. Unbelievable difference in birds. Yeah. I mean, there was there were no birds. Well, and I have lots of clients, again, going through travel. People travel to hunt. Well, in waterfowl world, as an outfitter, the south travels. Okay? Yeah. The south travels. Do I get some guys from Minnesota? Sure. Okay? But they're traveling to North Dakota, right? Yep. Right. Okay? Michigan, some. Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, okay, 90% of your business. Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, wow. Yeah. Arkansas, oh, same you think, thing. You think they got sick of killing wood ducks every day? Or? Well, it's not that. <laughs> it's just th- that the South travels to waterfowl hunt. They just yeah. do. You know? Yeah. I mean, you think they're it's more have, in their blood or, or like well, what? Well, they they're going to go to Canada. They're going to go to Canada. And and then that was fine because, you know, there's not much. Look at Arkansas. The season doesn't even open until Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. Right. So let's go to Canada, have a good shoot. You know, and get revved up, and it, you know, and we're gonna have a killer season at the at our private spot in Arkansas, or private spot. You know, I mean, it, you know, there's a lot. There's surprisingly some really good duck hunting in Alabama and stuff. So anyway, 
Um, you know, and then we'll start it off there. We'll travel and do that. Well, the problem is, is they're going to Canada still and having a banger and then they're coming home and it's 60 days of hell. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. no one wants 60 days of hell. Yeah. You know, so, so they're starting to travel and the good areas, let's just say Arkansas, I mean, which it is, but I mean, the good areas in Arkansas are now seeing all of that pressure from, you know, if they do have any birds, they're all concentrated in a few areas in Arkansas. Yeah. So it's just packing them in. White Oaks and... It, well, I mean, all the Black River, I mean, all that area there, the White River, the Cache, um, I mean, that's, it's just, I mean, all those wildlife management areas there. The, yeah. You know, the Biomeda and all, it's just going to get heavy pressure. But um, Louisiana, I've got a lot of clients from Louisiana uh, that have, that have, they're very expensive leases, waterfowl, and they're turning them all over. So they're selling their boats, they're turning over their leases for waterfowl. Now, great, they got great turkey hunting, got great deer hunting. They're going to keep those leases, but we're going to take, we're going to liquidate all of our waterfowl stuff and then use that money to, to take two or three trips a year somewhere where there's ducks. That's so crazy. Well, it's, it's just that's, and I mean, I've got a lot, especially Louisiana. Louisiana's about had it. I mean, you know, you're looking at a state there that used to kill most ducks. I mean, more, that was the number one kill state, you know, every yeah. year, you know. So, what, why do you think is the reason that? So, so you've been around long enough. Why do you think is the reason why a state like Louisiana is not killing ducks like they used to and why they need to go to Canada to kill ducks? Well, farming practices is one. Okay, like North Dakota. North Dakota used to be just sugar beets, right? Really? Well, yeah. I, I know that. you guys don't remember. I mean, no. it's <laughs> now well, it, everything. everything well, like, okay, let's just – so farming practices is huge. No-till is huge. Yep. Um, everybody – not Minnesota because right. we are right. big-till. Right, exactly. Till it all. We we and we gotta you know stock chop it and we gotta chisel plow it at least four times. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, right. yeah. And, and as soon as we harvest it, we gotta chisel that's it. Right. That's right. Immediately, the plow follows the hopper. That's yeah, right. One hundred percent. Unbelievable. Well, everywhere else in the United States, that is not the case. So, <laughs> it, like, it, so we do it. So, you have areas now that are holding birds. I mean, birds only push for two things, uh, it, uh, you know, lack of food, lack of access to food, or and water. open water. Yep. Okay. So, so with, with you know, I'm going to say a nasty word, but climate change. It, oh. Right, right. It, it, those birds are going to push only as far as they have to go. One inch. The frost line. That is it. The snow line, the ice line, that is as far as that bird is going to push. So they just don't go as far south. They just don't. They don't now, unless you have extreme weather conditions. And I mean, it, it used to be, you know, you had a lot of a lot more calendar migration. There, there yeah. really isn't. A, a, I mean, there's some specs. I mean, there's some bird, and we have a little bit of, we have quite a bit of a calendar migration in Canada, but we have to because it's Arctic Circle. Right. Well, when was the last time you hunted Minnesota during normal season? Right. Yeah, so our our big calendar push is Halloween. Mm-hmm. It used to be every year. Actually, it used to be before a little bit before Halloween. Yeah, right. In northern Minnesota, I mean, well, northern. We're I mean, close enough to Canada where it's like, you know, we we're st- a, we we still get it. Yeah. We get a right. huge push of divers in between October fifteenth to yeah. the you, first week of November. I mean, right, and it's like full moon and hardly any wind and right at the end of the full moon that's when we start getting birds because they're following the huge waterways and they're picking up on what little northwest winds we do have well and we have good we have good opportunity to eat 
right around Halloween. I mean, that's when obviously like pretty much everything is out. Right. Um, that's when stuff gets harvested. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's that's harvest season, so birds are here. Yeah. Right. But yeah, so you're basically just saying that because of the weather and from farming practices, they just don't go that far south. Well, right, and I mean the corn, corn soybeans. Like in my area in southeast Kansas, we grew no corn. There was no corn at all. I mean, it was all milo and soybeans. There was no corn. So really? just in the amount of time that I've been doing it, you know, in that area since really hunting that area since about '92, um, you know, now it's all corn. So now all I do. I mean, we, I mean, it was all Milo. So you would hunt flooded Milo. And that was it. Well, flooded Milo is a horrible Far. waterfall crop. It, I mean, yeah. it, it attracts <laughs> way too many blackbirds. Blackbirds. I mean, it's, it's, it's good. It's better than nothing. Um, but it, it, corn is, you know, king, of course. Yeah. So, and now it's all corn down there. So what I hunt there, of course, is all flooded corn. And uh, it's just been a game changer. I mean, that corn and bean rotation with no till. So now birds have all the food they want. Now all they need to have is open water. Well, you can, they can keep water open. Yep. And they can't, I mean, if there's 10 inches of snow on the ground, they can't get to the food. They're going to push. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the problem is nowadays is those birds are going to push. They're going to get to wintering grounds. The wintering grounds now has pushed further north than it used to be. So, um, but then even, even, with birds on the wintering ground, which you guys see here, you'll lose your ducks in the cities. It warms up at all. They come They're right, right, back. Yep. right back. Right back. Right back. Well, I mean, they will, I'm not kidding you guys. They'll fly one inch past that ice line. We'll lose our ducks in southeast Kansas if it gets cold enough. They push to Oklahoma. As soon as it warms up and you get a south wind, it's like it's on like Donkey Kong. Here they come. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're just right back. I mean, yep. it's, it, it's, that's some of the best hunts you're going to have. You yeah. don't even care about the northern push. It's all that. You want the weather to get bad enough where you are. That one, because now you're running ice eaters, which is a complete game changer. Oh, my God. So you're running ice eaters. So those birds will push. Now what tries to hang around, you're slaughtering because you got the only open water in a cornfield. <laughs> <laughs> and then what you've lost has gone to Oklahoma. But you know in three days it's going to warm back up again. It's and they're gonna, coming right back. Right back. And it's all new, you know. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's the same as in Arkansas back in the day when, when you all your um, rice fields would freeze. And then, you know, those ducks would push to wherever they would push. And then as soon as your ice thawed out in those rice fields, I mean, it just turned right back on again yeah. for, you know, two or three days. That's crazy. Um, you know, where, where I'm from here in Minnesota, northwest winds, you're going to pound whatever comes through the sky. I guided down in Oklahoma this year. Right. And we pounded on south winds. It's money. And that was weird it's for me as like being a Minnesota boy. They're like, oh, south winds tomorrow. We got to get everything. Joey's set. like, that sucks. Right. In Kansas, <laughs> in, in our field, you know, since it's an, since we're a wintering area there, all your blind setup is all for south winds. That's all you ever That's about. so crazy. Yeah. That's all you ever said. So, I mean, it's, but I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is. And, and it's not going to change. I mean, it's not. I mean, it, you can have extreme weather. I mean, let's face it. If we would have had that weather that we had the second week in February, and yeah. it would have been Christmas time. I mean, it would have been, it, it would have been epic, especially in my area. I mean, I mean, look at Arkansas. It was eight freaking degrees. It was minus three, four, four mm-hmm. city, Little Rock. Yeah. They got 10 inches of snow down there. Right. I mean, it would have been. Mayhem. It would have been unbelievable, you know? So, I mean, but unfortunately, you know, that's a, that's a generational storm. 
that we just had. Right. They, even more than that. I mean, so you're looking that we're going to have to have to get ducks that far south. We're going to have that to have that type of weather. Yeah, event. winter storm, Yuri. Come well, on. Right. You know, so I just. It's, so what do you, you think the big thing that the ducks aren't pushing that far is because of agricultural purposes? Do you think it's, because uh, everyone griping in Louisiana it's, it's and all that. It's not refuges, no. People are saying it's flooded corn. Well. People uh, are saying it's Tony Vandemore. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> uh, Missouri, <laughs> Missouri. Wow. Okay. Missouri is flooded corn from the Iowa border to the boot hill. Why I got the opportunity to hunt in Sumner right by Love Lake sure. at Cody Stokes' place. And let me tell you, man, I, there weren't a whole lot of ducks when I was there, but the ducks that did fly over our stuff, they did it bad. Right. And it was dumb. There was ice eaters running 24-7. Right. And right across this property was state land. And I'm like, it was all <laughs> flooded corn, hundreds of flooded right. acres that's right. the state right. managed. And I'm like, dear well, God. Yeah. yeah, well, they're going to, I mean, when you got Fountain Grove, which is north. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Well, Fountain Grove has flooded corn in the refuge, mm-hmm. uh, public hunting as well. Um, uh, Four Rivers, which is way further south. But the Golden Triangle is really Grand Pass, Swan Lake, and Fountain Grove. That's the Golden Triangle. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, all those areas there, you're going to have flooded corn there. And, I mean, did is Missouri solely responsible for for the, 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 the tough Arkansas seasons? No. Does it have a huge part in it? Yes. Yes. Probably. <laughs> but you know, back in the day, even before the corn deal, they used to say that Truman Lake, just the big reservoirs they were building, they did. See, I've heard of that. But Missouri did an unbelievable job. As far as I I, I mean, there's a lot of things that Missouri does that drives me crazy. Um, but they have the way they run their system uh makes for very, very good waterfowl hunting. You know, it's a draw. Um limited number of hunters in there. Um, so many shells. Some of them are so many shells. Um, so if you do get drawn to go to um, Fountain Grove or Bob Brown or Nottaway Valley or, um, you know, uh, Four Rivers, if you do get in there, you're going to have a nice shoot. I mean, just odds are because, I mean, it's, it, it, there's a lot of ducks. There's not very many people in there. Mm-hmm. So they, as far as that, I think they manage it very, very well. But it, it, flooded corn, you know, it's it's definitely, you know, I mean, that's that's a big deal. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, it has to be, especially when you see it. I mean, especially since, ni- I mean, 1985, you go to Sumner, there's not one flooded cornfield. And now it's flooded from, you know, Iowa to the Boot Hill. So it's a whole totally different deal. Yeah. It's just so different. But is it the only, I mean, is that really it? No. You know, if we had, I mean, it's, it's hard to... to, to just because there's so much corn planted nowadays. So it, it's just hard to say, is it because of the, I mean, is it that much of the crop or is it that much of the weather? Yeah. Stan, one thing we ask everybody that comes on this show is if they can tell us a crazy hunting story. Well, and the cool part is I know that you've hunted with so many OG hunters. Yeah. Like Jim Ronquist and oh. Tim Grounds and. Yeah. I, I mean, Tony Vandemore, like all these freaking people, like you have to have one like crazy story that stands out. I know you've been hunting for a long time, but give me something. I've got so many. Uh, you know, I tell you, well, let's just stick with with one really good one. Okay, we'll talk about Jason Thomas. This is UBO days. Okay, okay. woo woo, woo woo. 
How is he woo woo, by the way? Uh, Do I want to know? No, you don't want to know. Why. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Jason was from Southern Illinois, super caller. Um, young, young. I mean, this he would have been, again, I want to say 18, about the same age as Grady at the time. So there was a little bit of partying that went on every night. Sure. Okay. So it's, it's, there's a bunch of 25 year olds. I guess we would be the adults. And then there was a lot of 18 year olds. <laughs> yeah. So we had about an hour and a half uh, to drive up to um, Alberta. Remember, I remember the town of Alberta that was north of Lock, of uh, the lodge there. So it was about an west hour. of west of oh Minnesota. Alberta, yeah. Minnesota. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah, sorry, but yeah. I'm sorry. I'm okay, sorry. I was thinking like that's way Wait, fucking Alberta. further. <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> yeah. shit. That is yeah. that's a lot of windshield time. No, so we, we we'd load up and we'd have to run about an hour and thirty minutes to get up there. Yeah. Well, serious partying going on. Mm-hmm. So I'd come out of the room, get showered up. I'd roll out. It'd be out about three thirty. So I'd walk out. Duh. Right, and there was there was dead bodies all over inside of that boy. <laughs> so, you know, you go over and you start waking them up. Yeah, okay, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. Well, Jason was going to go with us. We were going to take, I want to say it was six clients up to one of these pothole lakes. Um, set a big, you know, 50. We, at that date, those times we were running the old G&H goose floats. So we had 50 of those and then set a diver spread because this is pre-spinner, okay? Yeah. You weren't going to kill, you were going to, if on a good day, we'd kill six or seven mallards. Okay. Thousands was going to fly over you, but you were going to kill six or seven mallards, shoot a lot of divers, have a nice diver spread out there, and any goose that flew by was dead. So we, so I'm, the whole time I'm waking up, we will wake up, we, and he is hungover. It's bad. I mean, you're just walking through beer cans, and they're just, I mean, it's bad. It's bad. So I wake, I get him finally. So I get some pants on him. Here we go. So, I get him out to the truck. He gets in the truck. It's Pete, Dad, and I. So we get him in the truck. We roll all the way up there. He, he never moves in the back seat of the truck. He's out. We go all the way out there, get to the spot, get set up. He goes, it helps us do everything. Then he goes right back over and just lays down and goes to sleep. So he's yeah. got all these clients, and he's just crashed over on the side. So it's great. We're gunning them, shooting lots of divers. It's awesome. Shooting, you know, have some pretty easy pairs, single geese, just come right in. We're repping them up. Well, here comes this huge migrator flock. It's huge. High. We're on them, and they're starting to break. I mean, we've got 50 goose floats out on this lake. Yeah. So we're on them. We're on them. They're oh, start, they're migrator sp- goose goose floater spread oh, oh it's oh, oh everywhere you went yeah and this is you know back in the day when i had 50 goose floats so calling 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 they're starting to break they're starting to break and pete goes hey hey go wake up woo woo go wake up woo woo <laughs> so i go over there he's out so i'm hey woo woo we need you we need you what's up what's up migrators so he gets up and he gets on it and that's it they i mean they make the death turn they go all the way down the end of the lake they, i mean they just stack it looks like a stadium you know here they come so they're, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, and I mean the whole the whole wad just come. Remember, we can only kill one, yeah, one apiece, <laughs> yeah. Right? So here they come, kill them, shoot them. He looks over at me, goes, "That was awesome." Then he went back and laid down, went back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. That's freaking awesome, man. And to go a little bit back on that, okay, that same lake that we're talking about, with yeah. that same spread. And this let's just say this was '97, so pre-spinner, same spread, same deal, same day, spinners. You shoot eight limits of mallards, all drakes, taking turns. Oh my God! Hey, it's your turn. That's right. That that's is insane. That was let's just say that would have been 2000. Okay, so that's the difference. 
in 20 years yeah. and, in a spinner. And that's it. 97, on a great day, you kill six or seven. Wow. Right. See, and I, and I always thought a lot of even field hunting for ducks or goose hunting or uh, field hunting for ducks or uh, water hunting for ducks, the more goose floaters that I have out. Oh, yeah. The better. Yeah. I would hunt over all goose floats. I mean, if I Even had back the, then. If I had the ability to haul them. Well, see, we, we transitioned from the G&H floats to the first of the uh, big the Clintons. First of the Bigfoots. Yeah. And, you know, that was just, you would like, oh. But the problem is with the first of those, uh, they, their, their feather texture on the front would ice up really bad. So when mm. you're on that water, normally you didn't have to worry about it because by the time it was that cold, you know, your stuff was froze. But when you're on that big water, it could get really cold, and you get an ice buildup on the front of that decoy. And it starts sinking. to like the Titanic. They would all look <laughs> out there, and they'd all be asses sticking But, yeah, it was. Dude, I still deal with that because I still have so many of those oh, yeah. floaters. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I wouldn't. I, if I could, I would run a hundred goose floats. If, if you had the ability to haul them, it, and because well, that's the pain of it. That's right. That's it's the only getting thing them that out you're there, down man. There. Right, right. But Fuck. you would. I mean, that's every time you get ducks that are coming and finish, and you have a, a good goose spread with your floats, they're gonna they're gonna float over to the goose floats every time. Yeah, for that's sure. fucking that's so nuts. crazy, dude. So, Stan. You've been around since the flute to the to the short reed transition. Yep. What what makes a guy a really good goose caller from like an average goose caller? Like what what note can the guy do or what cadence can a guy do in a field where you're like, I want that guy hunting with me? Well, really, it's or is it just reading birds? It's that's really what it is. I mean, so they all sound so different. I mean, face it, it's the most important thing in calling is the cadence sound natural if mm. you don't sound natural if it's not a natural cadence then what are you doing i mean it's and it doesn't have to be fast it doesn't i mean just single notes whatever it sounds like you know we all heard them on the ponds and everything just calling and doing what they're doing they're not doing uh caller number four warm-up right yeah. yeah i mean they don't so it's the natural cadence that they do i mean that's it and reading them just because you can rip it that you rip away but if you're not reading the bird it's it's i mean that's all it is is right. knowing when to hit them and when not to hit them i mean it's 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 that's what it is but i mean so really just a guy who if he's even marginal on it but he knows when to call and right. when not to call you know i mean that's that's really after that that's most of the battle that it is it yeah. that's a Ever since I got good on a duck and a goose call, Rob has essentially stopped. Right. And he doesn't go out that much with me just because he's a big walleye guy now. And because he got in trouble way back in the day at um, Beaver Creek. Right. You know, when SWAT came in. And I talked about that on a different podcast with him. But right. Um, one thing Rob has always done, like when Grady and Adam were calling, he wouldn't even pick up his call. They'd sure. say, Sh shut the fuck up. Stop. <laughs> Stop. Don't, Robbie, don't, don't fucking call. You know, and so he wouldn't. And he'd right. just be the first one with his gun out of the pit. Right. But when him and I, when I grew up hunting with my dad, he knew what to do and right. when to do it. He wasn't phenomenal by any means. He can make the right noises, of course. But like he, he knew when to do it. And I feel like I learned so much from him. It's just like, okay, they're flying away. Just wait, 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 wait. Right. So much of it is, is especially as a guide, is you know, I look at a flock of ducks or a flock of geese, you know if you should yeah. even blow at them. Yep. I mean, if they're not soft, mm -hmm. I mean, if they're, if they're not soft, don't waste your time. 
problem what is... What do you mean soft? So, well, you know, I mean, if you got birds, you know, slow moving, obviously not in Slower the, wing beats. The whole deal. Everything yeah. that you learn, that is something I need to call at, you know, yeah. to do. And especially duck hunting with spinners, unfortunately. You know, those birds should already be broke before you ever even right. call at them. So, which is a thing, you know, so when you're when you're hunting corn they're working like we were just talking about they are working the field very seldom are they working your spread are they just locked in and coming on in in a cornfield they're just not i mean i've hunted them everywhere guys unless you're mobile and you've moved i mean obviously if you see what side of the cornfield they're feeding in and you've moved to that side and you're you're obviously you're in the x totally different ball game but when you're in that pit 60 days and you're you know trying to kill them yeah you're going to have birds that are going to come to that field but they are working the field and then you have birds that just fly by well you just you have to read those birds birds that are going to either break down on the corn those are the ones you're going to call the same with spinners when you have birds that are you know you know the ones that are fly by you're not going to call it those i mean you got four spinners out and they haven't even you know skipped a beat yeah we call it self-starting so if the birds are self-started Hmm. You know, that's when you hit them. Back in the day, to self-start ducks, you had, you know, you you were hunting a spot that had, you know, three, four hundred decoys out. Well, then that would self-start birds. Now you can have 80 decoys out and self-start them with four spinners. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, so that's just reading birds, you know. But problem when you're running clients, they want you to call it everything. Oh, fuck. Yeah. You know, and the guy's got binoculars. There are some that's not helping me, bro. <laughs> right? So... <laughs> You know, you you just can't. I mean, you just you just learn. Like I said, if I had somebody in there that could read birds, that's really all. That, that's the best thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, by far. Stan, if you could give advice to a young hunter, like a young waterfall hunter, what would it be? Unlike how to be successful, or or anything. Yeah, just or your mentality. Get into the industry. Into yeah. I mean, fuck. Oh, wow. I mean, there. I mean, where do you start on that yeah. question? Uh, just know? well, first of all, just go whenever you can. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, anytime you can go, go. Um, don't be scared. I got it. Really? It's tough. Um, you know, I think the opportunities now, are, uh, for someone who wants to get into the industry, obviously, cause there's so much more opportunity out there. Um, you know, I mean, so many more, you know, operations out there, hiring guides and stuff. Um, you know, I've worked for some great, um, <laughs> great guys. Of course, you know, the Habitat Flats guys, uh, ultimate bird outfitters. I mean, uh, Habitat was phenomenal mm. um and then i've hunted I, you know uh, roy carter carter's um big island hunt club in sun, uh, southeast kansas phenomenal um and then of course i hunted a lot with uh richie tone guy service with jim ronquest and trey crawford yeah, i mean come on i mean i mean what, what could you say to that so i mean it's but i you have so many more opportunities to be able to go out there and guide nowadays so i just say just you know kind of be a pain you know send out the emails call guys if you want to get into it you know i yeah. mean no one's going to call you right of course right. not so you're going to have to get in there get contact <coughs> get your word out and talk to as many people as you can so yeah mm. but it's hard i mean it's it's tough you know not get discouraged or any of that stuff and and probably another thing is don't think that you do have to go out every day and shoot that big giant pile pick yeah go out for the right reason right yeah. Have a good time. Who's the uh who's probably the coolest person you've ever hunted with and why? Oh. Geez. 
It's going to piss a lot of people off. I mean, well, I mean, I mean, you've hunted with Ira. You've hunted with yeah, Jim. Aaron, you've hunted with Tony. You've hunted with Tim Grounds. You've hunted with Hunter. You've hunted with fucking everyone. I mean, who? what was the coolest experience that you had with any of those people? Who was the most influential well, to I you? I mean, based I on say. his crazy hunting experiences in Marion. Well, yeah. I mean, Tim... <laughs> you can't really go there either. Uh, I mean, just what those guys... I mean, those guys had good times. Good times. And, and like, we'll just say Jimbo. When you see Jimbo on his podcast, that's Jimbo. And when Jimbo is doing his show... That's Jimbo. Jimbo talks to everyone. You talk to him at the boat ramp. You, I mean, whatever. It's him. I mean, that's him. There's no, hey, it, put the game face on. You know, it's time to do the podcast or I got to, you know, do the show or whatever. That's yeah. him. Tony's the same way. Tony, uh, Vandemore loves to take guys out hunting um, every day. He loves to take them out every day. You know, he, they started Habitat Flats to have a place to go hunting. Right. That's why they started it. And I get to take some buddies hunting, you know? And, I mean, when you go hunting, it, with Tony especially, when he rolls up in the morning, it's, hey, I'm going hunting. Who's going with me? Yeah. Right? So that's awesome. The same with Jimbo. I mean, just all of them. Trey Crawford, um, John Stevens. I've hunted with I mean, they're all, they're just super guys, all of them. Um, Jeff Foyles, Cole Foyles. Um, Cole is the shit. Oh, I, love I love Cole. Cole. You know, He's I, like the coolest I didn't kid, get man. to hunt with him as much. They just got a matter of fact. The best is a three day goose hunt, uh, snow goose hunt with him. Uh, just place over by um, uh, Louisiana, Missouri. But I mean, all those guys are all great. I, I really can't think of really anybody that 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 you know one of those guys. Right. Then let me rephrase my question: Who was the person that taught you the most in waterfowl? It would be Ultimate Bird Outfitters. All those guys: R Rob, Pete, Grady, Pete, Grady, Adam, Adam, Corey, Woo Woo. Woo woo, all those guys, you know, by far, you know, really. Oh, yeah. I mean, why is that? It's just because you were just well in uh, it so much, or yeah, it was that's just where you were in life, yeah, at the time, young, yeah, you know. And I loved waterfowl hunt, you know, I loved it. So then getting in with those guys, and then also that's how I got into you. Next thing I know, I'm hunting with Jim Ronquest, next thing I know, I'm hunting with Trey Crawford, next thing I'm doing. Uh, I'm hunting with Tim, or I'm hunting with Jeff Foyle. So that was just the catalyst for you. Right. So, and then, so it all started with UBO. Um, and, you know, I mean, by, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, you can imagine. I mean, and again, like you're saying, you wish you were older yeah. at that time. Fuck yeah. Right. Cause I mean, it was, it, I've seen the pictures, Stan. Yeah. yeah it was, I've <clears> seen <throat> the pictures of a young Fred Zink before he oh, was anything man, yeah. at oh, yeah. the lodge. And oh, I mean, yeah. he looks like he's 12. Yeah. He won the, you know, the 97 Remington Invitational, we were, all went to Marion. Um, and that was my first first hunt in Marion. So we went there, and he won the Remington Invitational. Um, for duck calling or No, what? it was for goose calling. Goose Remington calling. Invitational was for goose calling. Uh, it was really the first. I mean, he had won a bunch, but it was really his first. The first big one. Big one. And, yeah. of course, he was blowing for Tim then still. Mm -hmm. Um. <sighs> It, and Tony's the steak. I mean, it's like I said, it's just, it's, it's kind of mind blowing. But like I said, all of that, I got access to through those guys, Yeah, you know, and, uh, and they know it. I mean, all, I mean, you know, a lot of them and they get credited. I mean, Adam Rometta, Grady Stevens, of course, Tim, but I mean, those guys, you have guys that are crediting them for the stuff. 
you know, and I, I kind of wish like a lot of the younger generation would know what those guys did. And right. Well, because honestly, in our generation, it's Simon and I. That's it. That's right. who knows because right. no one's ever. Only one. Scott right. Trina knows who Grady is. Right. Right. But right. that's because he went over there because he knows way right. long time ago, and he's like, "Holy right. shit, Grady can fucking <laughs> rip a call." He's like, "Oh, I think." And he was just the first one. Right. All right. Well, I heard on a podcast with Kelly Powers. I can't, I think it was on the HP Outdoors podcast. Uh, Kelly Kelly. Powers is on there and he's like, yeah, the first guy to do the quick spit in a competition was Adam Rometta. And I think he won 17 right after that. And I was like, wait a second. I rewinded it, paused it. I was like, no fucking way. So I called Adam. He goes, oh yeah, you know, Kelly was at the the lodge all the time. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Right. It's just like, I'm growing up. These are the OGs back now. Kelly would have been. What 18, 17, or you know, I you know, I mean, all of them, but I mean, it was just so many of them. When you watched with Brian Sullivan, Matt Sullivan, oh, I mean, when you when you watched a hunting video and it was goose hunting, especially when you watched a hunting video in those days, you knew who was blowing the call based off of what it sounded like because it was only 20 guys, it mm. was only 20 guys that blew like that, and they would go, they would start in Canada on the sly and then they would um you know end up in texas because you know back in back in those days everybody was hunting um you know there's so many lessers so they were hunting yeah. in the panhandle of texas and all that stuff um i mean you knew who it was just by watching the video who was calling That's so crazy that. yeah and then i mean foils was huge jeff was huge i mean jeff i mean what jeff did sometimes he doesn't get as much credit as he deserves yeah um I mean, he first came, he was the first one to come out with the new call every year. Mm. You know, I mean, Rich and Tone, you had the original and the original. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you could get the original in wood and, and, and butch, or you could get it in acrylic. But, you know, that was it. Yeah. And then, and even Tim, I mean, so it, it, they, they started, you know, with more and more calls, but and then, and then, and then Jeff said, you know, let's, let's, you know, let's do this where we're putting out a new call every year. You know, and let's face it, he, he was, he was a rock star then. I mean, he was. Of course, yeah. And he did. I mean, and he, a lot of marketing stuff was built off of his model. Well, and he was pretty much the first person to come out with DVDs, right? And his DVDs. Yeah. Which, let's Long face guys. it, those are the, they're, they're, there's nothing to compare them. That's so awesome. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. old zinc ones are pretty cool, too. Yes. I love the old zinc ones yeah. and the yeah. old foils ones. Yeah, it's Falling Skies cool. is just crazy. It is. Yeah. It's funny to watch that. When you were probably in some of those videos, weren't no, you? No, not not any of the Falling Skies <laughs> one. Um, God, I, some some Rich and Tone. Some of the first of the Rich and Tone TV ones. R&T that, TV. Yes, when uh, John Stevens uh, took the company, bought the company from Butch. Um, and they that was start- before he passed, though, correct? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, um, yeah he was there at the shop for um, after, the, you know, they had moved from the old Max. You know, he had his little shop there attached to the old Max. Mm-hmm. And then they, you know, built the big brand new one out yeah. north of town there. And then they had the R&T shop there. Well, then Butch was there making, he was turning calls right there. You'd walk in and talk to him. And, of course, he is, I mean, he he's a cornerstone of duck calling. I mean, yeah. What he did. So, I mean, all the stuff he did is. It he's was, a stud. It was huge. Right. Humble stud. Right. So, I mean, um, but, I mean, just all of that stuff. But, I mean, like I said, sometimes I don't think, I mean, it, and of course, there's some. Uh, I mean, there's everybody has you know area you know times in their lives that they would like to forget. But I mean, Jeff did a lot. I mean, it was a lot of stuff he did, a lot. 
Yeah. Well, Stan, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. We appreciate it. And God, I'm I sure like our that listeners will appreciate it. I feel like that could have gone for another hour and a half. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I just when you said that, and I was like, we're gonna have to have you on again nope. if you're Anytime. back in the area. You bet, no problem. Definitely. If you guys liked this podcast, leave us a review. It would definitely help us out. Check us out on YouTube and Instagram. We'll see you guys soon.